everybody. This is Andy Marquette. I am joined by my colleague and friend, Joe Bell. We are Women in Words, and this is the show where we talk about all the shit on the blog and usually, like, all kinds of other shit, too. And, yes, I am stoned on cold medicine. Um, don't you just love summer colds, Joe? What the hell with the summer cold? What is this? No, I don't I don't like them. Thanks for asking. Oh, God. I'm not a fan. Drag. Mm. Um, anyway, tell me a story. Well, um, all my kids are out of school for summer vacation finally, and they're which is good since yesterday was officially the first day of summer. Um, oh yeah, and, that's right. Woohoo! Yeah, summer solstice, and they're all going to make me insane. Like, <laughs> not even. It, it's oh my god! I I just I used to really like my kids, and now they're just obnoxious. What is that about? I don't uh, know. Teen, teen years. Oh, oh yeah. They're growing mm. up and getting older and having opinions, fuckers. Mm. God. <laughs> they're, oh my God. They're amazing. You know, you know how they are. They're, 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 they're pretty impressive. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't really have a story. That's it. They're just making me insane. That's enough. But happy summer break to the to your kids. Oh yeah, they're happy. They they gauge their happiness on how crazy I am at the moment. And that's pretty damn crazy right now, probably um, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, we leave tomorrow on vacation. You know, I was just so, gonna say, please tell us about your vacation. Yeah, well, I we'll see, we'll see. I, I'll tell you about it when I get back next week. Uh, dear listener, okay. Andy will be here with. I'm going to try to be here. I'm going to try to find somebody to play with me. We shall see. Oh, you're going to find somebody fun. It'll be great. Um, <laughs> you know who hasn't done this in a while? We've got all sorts of people who have, you know, sh- shuffled in for us. Obviously, Ashley, because she likes to torment. She likes to just, like, torment us. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Jesse Chandler hasn't been on for a while as a, as a, a guest co-host. And mm-hmm. neither has... Um, um, RG Emanuel. Oh, that's true. And mm-hmm. you, could I bet mm-hmm. you could you could reach out to Cliffy. I'm sure she'd love to do it. I haven't. Um, she hasn't done it yet, but I'm sure she would love to. Oh, um, she's an improv expert. Yeah, we'd be fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, totally. So there's lots of people. In fact, you could you could you could reach out to one of our our newbies who aren't really oh, all that new anymore. I, but what about like anymore? Valagab. <laughs> Or Ooh, we could find out. I will. I will yeah. see. Yeah. See, there's all see. sorts of options. You'll find somebody. Somebody should play with me next week. Somebody will. It'll be great. Okay. okay. All right. Vacation. Talk anyway, yeah. So we're go. going. We're going doing? up to to Blaine, Blaine, Washington, which is right on the border of Washington and Canada, and uh, yeah, that's what we're doing. It's very exciting. Um, yeah, but you got to you got to explain why you're going there. Well, because we own a timeshare and there was a condo there and we'd never been. That was literally all there was to it. It wasn't like it was this big, like, we must go to this place. But since we're going to this place, we're going to hop across the border into Canada and see the set where they film uh, Riverdale because Noah's super that, see, into Riverdale. I wanted you to talk about that, see? Oh, uh-huh. you did? Well, that's Yes. <laughs> that's all I have to say about that is we're going to drive across the, the border to see Riverdale and... Hopefully, we're going to ride a ferry across to uh, Victoria and see Bouchard Gardens and the suspension bridge and all sorts of things like that. But where we're going, there's literally nothing there. 
nothing. I was talking to a friend of mine who's who's who spent some time up there and she's all, no, there's there's like this one like little restaurant that opens in the summertime, so it might be open and they have pretty good food. That was it. That was all she could come up with. <laughs> so Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so there's nothing there. I'm, and you know, Tyra and I are pretty stoked about that. Like even if we never leave the the condo yeah. and just hang out, we're we're pretty stoked about it. There's there's a an indoor and an outdoor pool, so the kids will be Ooh. happy. I mean, that's really all the kids need in order to be happy. And oh, just, my God. This sounds great. Can yeah. I go with you? Yeah. You want to come? I like start driving. I'll be there. I'll meet you there. Woo. Yeah. You would get there right about the time we were leaving. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're doing oh uh, six days. Six days? I, five nights. Yes. Five oh, nights. Cool. So I'm having a problem with math. Sorry. I, dear listener. I get it. I just woke up. It's true. This is a true fact. And by saying I just woke up, I mean I woke up about an hour ago, but mm-hmm. still. Mm-hmm. But still. So this sounds awesome. Yeah. I'm excited um, about it. For others of you, if you're going to be doing any kind of vacationing in this in this hemisphere, because I know the southern hemisphere, obviously, I don't know if people vacation in their fall slash winter. But if you're vacationing, I hope you're having a blast. Yeah. Good for you. People must vacation in in the winter. They must. I mean, they do here. They take like skiing va- vacations, right? I mean, yeah. Or if you're like in a cold climate, you go down to the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, I don't like the Gulf of Mexico. It tried to kill me once. I know, but other people really- do go there. Yes, I know. <laughs> it's awfully pretty. We can say it's, that. It is beautiful. It is absolutely are, beautiful. The sunsets are amazing. The Gulf of sunsets are amazing. So, um, yeah, it's All right, so, unnerving though for, for anybody who's, who's hasn't been to the Gulf and you're thinking, Oh, I need to go because it's amazing. It is absolutely unnerving to swim in water that feels like it belongs in your bathtub. That's not normal. That's in the summertime friends. <laughs> no, that's all the time. According to, well, I, you know what, according to my cousin who lives right there all the time, that's what it feels like. But well, I don't know. She might when- be insane. It, it, well, it depends on how far south you are. Like, if you're um, in Florida, then, yeah, the water is a little bit warmer. But if you're a little bit, you know, on the northern side of the Gulf during the wintertime, it's it's not that warm. Mm. Well. Because so, uh, the air is not that warm either. It's just kind of, ugh. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, fuck, I don't know. I, I just know that it fucking tried to kill me once, and that's all I need it- to know. It did. <laughs> so that's. Thank God it did it, y'all. Yeah. Well, Noah saved my life. You know this. I know, right? Yes. And every single time have you, I have bring. Have you told that story? Have you told that story on Women in Words? Should oh, you tell it I, again? I'm sure I, I told, told it, but I will share it again if we. Share it again. If, so we went to the Gulf of Mexico with my cousin, and isn't it great? And the kids are having fun. And, you know, I'm, I go out into the water, like up to my ankles, because really. I, whatever. <laughs> right, and, exactly. But then the tide starts coming in and suddenly I'm in deeper water and I didn't realize it. And then suddenly there's like, you know, a wave that, you know, comes splashing over me and it knocks me over and I could not fucking get up. <laughs> every yeah, time yeah, I, yeah. Every time I almost got up, like 
the another wave would hit me and I'd get knocked uh-huh. down again. And I'm freaking out. And, my, and Tara and my cousin are just standing there laughing at me because I'm like a fat girl stuck in the spin cycle of a washing machine, right? And I can't, oh my God. <laughs> I can't figure out how to get up. And Noah is freaking out because Noah is the only one who actually loves me. And, you know... <laughs> And Tara finally comes and helps me get my fat ass up. And she's still laughing at me, even though, you know, she's recognizing that I'm ready to kill her. And uh, uh, she's just like, why? Why? Why would you? Why were you even trying to get up? Like, all I had to do was just relax and I would have washed up on on the beach. (laughs) Oh, my God. So but instead, I was like, seriously, panicking. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it was... It was pretty awful. It was an awful experience. Yeah, because those waves come in and they smack you, and then you're like, oh, struggle, 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 smack you again. Uh-huh. Yeah, I totally get it. Yeah. I totally get it. And the uh, scary, you know, super scary. I would have helped you. Just thank, so you know. Thank you. Noah, still me and Noah, Noah would help you. Still to this day, anytime one of us, if one of us forgets and brings it up in front of him, he still like gets all verklempt and, you know, will start crying and gets angry because, you know, we're laughing because it's a funny story. And he just well, it was gets trauma. It was traumatic for him. I mean, Jesus. He's so angry about all of it. And, you know, whatever. He's always angry at one of us about something now. That's just part of the deal. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, yeah. The Gulf tried to kill me. There's mm-hmm. a story in there. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, vacation. Joe's leaving tomorrow. Um, I don't get to vacation just yet, but oh well. And obviously I can't right now because of this fucking cold. Who wants to go on vacation with a cold? Ugh, try. No, um, who so wants to go to work with a cold? Oh my god, right? So I'm just like... Uh, I've been fighting this damn thing all week, and finally yesterday it was like, oh, God, this is sucky. So I came home, took a bunch of cold meds, and, like, just sat on the couch and stared at the TV because I just, you know, you get that headache, that cold headache where your eyes hurt. Oh, God, mm-hmm. it's the worst. So I'm feeling a little bit better today, but, um, yeah, I'm pretty much just going to be, like, staycationing on my ass because I'm just, this thing wiped me out. I've been battling it all week. So is, are, um, is Sudafed available OTC in your, in your, where you live or do you have to have a prescription? Like It's like, it's like, I don't, um, no, I, I can't, you can buy it, but they like put you on a list. Yeah. They track the sales. Yeah. Of it. Did they yeah. do that? Did they oh do that yeah. 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 Oh yeah. It's so like, even if you go to get like NyQuil or cold meds or whatever, they put your name on a list mm-hmm. and they check your ID. They check your ID for that. Yeah. Well, I'm like. I walk in there like, you know, carrying Kleenex and my eyes are watering. I'm like, eh, where's the drugs, you know? And I'm like, oh, clearly I'm not going to be making meth. I'm going to be actually drinking this NyQuil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they, that's what they got to do. And yeah. I don't know, man. I'm not sure how I feel about those laws. But Hey, in, in Oregon, it's a controlled substance. You cannot get it without a prescription from your pharmacist. Wow. And um, here in Washington, because I live right on the border between the two states, mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, you can get it without a prescription, but it's in the pharmacy. Like you have to actually go up and talk to the pharmacist to get it and you have to present ID and yeah, they track it in a database and it's, it's a, it's not just a a database for Washington. Like it's, uh, it's a nationwide. 
Yeah, it's nationwide. Yeah, I I believe so. I know at the very. What if I carried my cold throughout the states? I mean, that could happen. You, they they don't care. Like, there's a threshold, and I used to know this because I used to manage a pharmacy, but I don't remember the actual details anymore because I suck at details. Anyway, they don't care. I mean, you can buy as much as you want up to a certain point, and then when you once you hit that threshold, and it's a generous amount. I mean, they're they're not Uh trying to keep you from managing your you're cold, um, but, or allergies or whatever the hell. You yeah. Have. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of weird. I don't know. It's, it's intense. The, the fact that, you know, this, 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 this drug that is so amazing. Like I think Sudafed is like the best thing ever, oh my, like right? quite literally. And, mm-hmm. but it is, it is bad <clears throat> business because you know, People you, you know, know you know what I things. it's interesting to me though how <clears throat> how people figure out figured out how to do that with Sudafed, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That to me is like, damn, that's some serious chem knowledge. And and then I'm all like breaking bad. Like you Yes, know? I love that. Like, oh my god. Anyway. So yeah, friends, I am buying Sudafed and cold medicine because I actually literally am taking it, not making stuff with it. So yeah. just so you know. You know, if anybody ever thought I was making meth, I would be so flattered because uh, the taste, yeah, yeah, the the science involved. <laughs> I know, right? You got to right. science the shit out of that, man, and it's just like, damn. Anyway, yeah, I'm way I, too dumb to be doing that stuff. <laughs> Although sweet. one of my uh, best friends has a, a, a chem degree, so she she could probably hook me up. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah okay let's not get her in trouble oh um, god no okay. <laughs> uh-huh anyway friends hello now let's talk about the freaking blog oh silly how the fuck for the gulf of mexico to meth what the fuck what was that okay uh, the um, weeds yeah that's just us all right june 15th friends we were joined by one of our readers in res- residence daniel zion and she has a has a really beautiful picture here of the tracking lines up Mount Everest. Now, I'm saying beautiful because the mountains are beautiful, but the issue here is, and she brings this up, is that um, there are so many people, Joe, there are so many people now climbing Mount Everest that people are literally fucking dying on the mountain because if you miss that window to get to the top, you're going to run out of uh, out of oxygen and, and fucking die. So there's been like three people this season that have already died because they were standing in line. You're standing in fucking line on Mount fucking Everest. What is wrong with this picture, friends? There should not be lines of people to get up Mount Everest. What is happening in this world? What the hell? But anyway. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah. And there's trash. There's trash everywhere. You would think you that only- people who care about this stuff wouldn't be leaving their trash everywhere. Right. I mean, it's just like, it's horrifying what is happening on Everest. Um, Anyway, Danielle Zion has, she's got like a fascination with Everest, and she says it began years ago when she had the opportunity to hear Canadian mountaineer Sharon Wood at a work-related leadership conference. Oh, my God, how cool that would be. To speak about her experiences in training and reaching the summit in 1986. She was the first North American woman to reach the Everest summit. And she went via the West Ridge, which is difficult, and the North Face route. So... Danielle says, I'm not sure it succeeded in motivating me at work, but I was admittedly really keen to start training and get on the local hills. So I soon came to my senses and to grips with the realization that the only ice I wanted to dig into was a hockey rink (laughs) (laughs) on skates wearing 30 pounds of goalie equipment. 
So one of her favorite things about this monthly blog commitment, besides, you know, doing it, is she gets to read when she wants to rather than when she can fit it in. So yay. So she's got some like mountain themed books here to go along with her whole thing about Everest. One is Trin Denise's The Death Zone, Murder on Mount Everest in 2014. Um, says it's a great story, engaging. The storyline was interesting. Um, she's got High Intensity by Belle Riley. I don't know this book, 2002. Uh, none of Riley's novels have made it to a Kindle, so she's had to track down some used paperbacks. This one was 2002. Uh, Well-written, researched, we follow French-Canadian mountaineer Veronique Ricky Bouchard, who has signed on as a guide for an Everest trek. Oh, neato. And, of course, then she, one of the clients is the love interest, you know. And um, Andrea Bramhall's first novel, Rock in a Hard Place. That's 2017. The book is not really set at Mount Everest. It's the setting for the prologue when we are introduced to one of the main characters and events unfold there that are central to the development and the storyline. It's set in um, the Patagonia region of Argentina. So those are some books, y'all, that you can check out on Mount Everest or mountaineering in Lesvik. And she's got some others listed here. Skycroft's Mountain Rescue uh, and Sky's Mountain Rescue on the Edge and, and Stephanie Gunn's Icefall. So... That's kind of a cool theme because it's not something that I normally, you know, really think about in terms of Lesvik is mountains, mountaineering. Dude, Dude, there is no part of me that has ever once thought it would be fun to climb up a really big mountain. That's just, <laughs> nope, <laughs> but thank you ever so much. Yeah, no, not for me. So more power to him. Although I did watch a couple of movies with uh, rock climbers and thought it was amazing. And I do like to go rappelling. Which, you mm. know, is the opposite of climbing up a mountain. It's the opposite of climbing up. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, whatever. Okay, solidarity. Right, um, right. Thanks for, th thanks for sharing this, but I'm not going to be tricky. going anytime I, I, soon. Because now I'm, like, thinking about the books that deal with mountains and mountaineering. And Danielle, I think, nailed all the ones that I know about except for that 2002 one by Bell Riley. The other ones I knew about, but I'm like, wow, maybe we should, maybe more authors should write should write that stuff. That would be cool. Uh, so yeah, if that's your gig. There you go. Yeah. Do it. Do it, do it, do it. Do it. All right. June 16th, we were joined by Jazzy Mitchell, author Jazzy Mitchell, who I believe is with Desert Palm Press. And Jazzy has kind of a cool blog here about um, she had like wait, like really long hair, and she got her hair cut because she donates her hair. Yeah. You know, which is so cool. Have you ever done that? No, but I know people who have. Locks of love. That's Dude, the my hair is so fucking fine and what? I, no, nobody wants my hair. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! It's, you can stuff. You can use it to maybe stuff a pillow. No, that's just gross. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! So Jazzy talks about the haircut. So she's got she's got to get her haircut. Got to get this, and she's got a photo of herself before and after, which is cool. <clears throat> so she went to um, a beauty school to have a student cut her hair, which is cool. And good learning experience. And, hey, it's only hair. It'll grow back. It's true. So she says, I must admit the way the student bit her lower lip when I described what I wanted kind of made me worry. She left to talk to her instructor and returned 15 minutes later with the instructor. And Jazzy gave him a business card, which showed me with short hair. They discussed strategy. They braided her hair into four quadrants. And the student, you know, the student was afraid to make the first cut, so the instructor did it. 16 inches all gone like that boom nice and she got a photo of the hair 
And so it took two and a half hours to get all that, that hair cut off for locks of love. Really? And yeah. How much of that time was spent, you know, convincing them that they, that she really knew what she wanted? Uh, I don't know, but it's, you know, it's a student and they're going to take their time. Right. I mean, you know, sure. So, so, and the hairstylist conferred with four different instructors hmm. and, you know, good for that student wanting to do a good job and make sure that the student did it right. So right on. Um, Jazzy then says that the whole process made her think about her decision to change her hairstyle, how it affected all of these people. I might not ever see this hairstylist again, but I contributed to her education I made a difference in her life. I helped her in ways maybe I have I don't even know, right? Because here she is with this like project, cut off this long, long hair, and create like this other style. And she's a student; she doesn't quite know how to do these things. So, yeah. So her newest novel, Jazzy says, "You Matter," focuses on Chrissy Kramer making a difference one fateful day while she's a senior in high school. Chrissy needed support; those closest to her turned away, so she felt worthless, thrown out like last week's trash. And that experience marked her. Fifteen years later, her heroic actions affect many lives, but it takes time for her to believe that she made a difference. It sounds kind of like um, it's a wonderful life. You know, you don't see the difference you're making in people's lives. So. Yes. Cool. I, you know what? Confession, I've never watched It's a Wonderful Life. I've never oh, felt snap. even remotely compelled to do that. So. Mm. Well, it's, you know, it's a classic story. It's like, oh, I'm worthless. Nobody likes me, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, you get a chance to see the the changes that you have made in people's lives. And maybe you just didn't know. Yeah. I get it. So, it's a great story. It is so, this is kind of what this sounds like. It, it, the, the idea that, I mean, people minimize what they can accomplish in the, you know, in, in the in their micro environment. And that's really unfortunate because if you take the time to make a positive impact on every single life that you encounter, mm-hmm. that's a powerful thing. So yeah, no, I totally agree. It's a great story. Even if it's just like, like maybe somebody's having just a shit day and you just like say, Hey to them and hold the door for them. Yeah. Like even something so small can like really impact somebody's life. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, so that's why my mantra is don't be a douche, be kind, don't be a dick. Because mm-hmm. you just don't know who's having a shit fucking day. And you one day may need something like that. Yeah. Somebody to be like, here, let me hold this door for you. So people that you should always be kind to, even if it feels like, you know, they are fucking up your day, you should always be kind to the person working the window at the local drive through. Oh, my God, yes. Always. You should always be kind to the bus driver if you're taking a bus. You should always be kind to the person working at the pharmacy because Mm -hmm. I promise you that pharmacy employee is taking all sorts of shit that they did not sign up for. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when people are sick, you see them at their absolute worst. Mm-hmm. You should just always be kind to these people. You should always be kind to the person that you see standing on the side of the road with a sign that says, you know, homeless, anything helps. Always be kind to that person. And kindness can be very simple. It can just be a smile. It doesn't have to be, mm-hmm. you know, quantitative. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, always. Always be kind. Yes. Exactly. So thank you. Thanks, Jazzy, for stopping by. I appreciate it. Um, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna read that book because now I'm I'm intrigued. I want to see how the story goes. So, 
you know, I just put it in the stack of the 9,000 other books I want to read. Yeah, right? you have a fairly <laughs> long a, list, yes. Oh, my God. June 17th, Stevie Carroll, our friend across the pond. This was a really cool blog, but I love all of Stevie's blogs because she, like, does all these cool things in the UK. She posts all these cool pictures, and she gives us, like, little history lessons. So she's saying this is about Park Hill Flats. And if you look at the photos she provides, it looks like one of those giant apartment complexes that in this country, in the U.S., would be kind of like considered a project maybe, you know, low-income housing. And she says that it had something of a reputation. And um, but now the flats have been temporarily emptied and they've been upgraded and they're undergoing a period of rebirth thanks to this, I guess it's a program there called Urban Splash. And if you click the link that Stevie has, I did because I'm like, what is this? I must know. And the flats are being refurbished. And so they look, I mean, it looks amazing. So she also wanted to point out that the flats have appeared several times in the latest Doctor Who. And I'm like, when I saw the photo, I was like, that looks really familiar. What is it? And then I was like, oh, my God, Doctor Who. And she also says they've been the inspiration for a piece of splendid. I love it when Brits say splendid. Splendid musical theater featuring songs by Richard Hawley. And so... The musical theater is called Standing at the Sky's Edge, and it ran from the 15th of March to the 6th of April at Sheffield's Crucible Theater. And I believe Stevie is based in Sheffield, but I'm not sure. And it tells the story of one Park Hill flat and three sets of residents, each inhabiting it through a different phase in the building's history. What a great story. Yes. I love stories like that. Me too. Uh, oh, my God. This, I think, was one of the... the um um skins the movie or the the, the uk uh, the mm. british show skins was fe- this this was you know what yeah. yeah okay yeah but oh my god i love stories that follow like you know different people in a different setting in the same setting over a series of years like she's got first to move in are a young steel worker and his wife we follow them through the birth of their son james the death of sheffield steel industry and the rise of new less stable forms of employment the initial highs and later lows of their relationship mirror the optimism felt as the opening of Park Hill Flats, as streets in the sky in the late 50s, followed by the area's steady decline as the money for maintenance becomes ever more restricted. James and his family leave, along with many others, and the flat is given to a refugee couple and their niece. The niece is befriended by a local lad, lad, the older Jimmy, and the pair reach maturity together. Eventually, they too are moved on, and our final inhabitant after the renovation is Poppy a Londoner fleeing a job and relationship that have both been making her unhappy and hoping to find new purpose and happiness in the now trendy Park Hill. So she says the play was clever and complex. The three stories were told in parallel with characters from two or more timelines playing out their stories in different parts of the single set. Oh, this sounds badass. Yes. Oh my God. Musical. I love theater. I mean, this would be so cool. So Stevie, because she was inspired by her theater visit, went to visit Park Hill. The redeveloped parts are impressive. The section still awaiting renovation looked much as I remember as a teenager. The convenient tram stop was a revelation. I don't remember it being there. And the views were impressive, even from ground level. I was a little pushed for time. However, I plan to make a return visit and explore more deeply. Yes, Stevie, and keep us updated. So she's got um, a, you know, a photo of the renovation, some of it. An optimistic notice in front of the building. The Park Hill story continues. Uh huh. I love urban renewal stories like that. Yeah, and me too. I love how people play into the urban renewal stories. 
Ah, my God, I love it. Um, do you remember there was a a, um, a movie like for it was either for like Showtime or HBO or something? But if these walls could talk, do you remember that? Yes. Yeah, I was thinking that. Oh yeah. my God, sharing a brain. That was my introduction to Chloe Sevigny. So yeah, I Did do. Do you want to like tell people because youngsters may not know what that is? Oh, if these walls could talk, and then if these walls could talk too, which is the one I'm thinking of, it which featured a house. And the evolution of the house. And we, so the first couple was um, an older couple, retired um, school teachers. And the house was in one of the partner's names, but not in the other one. And then when um, the one died, the other one is just like completely fucked because it was like the 50s. Mm -hmm. Right. So and wasn't who was who Lynn Redgrave maybe played? Um, it was I want that sounds familiar, uh, but. Wait, we've got like the 1952, I just looked it up, the 1952 segment, Claire Donnelly was played by Demi Moore, a widowed nurse living in suburban Chicago. 1974 what? deals, yeah, If These Walls Could Talk, yeah. No, no, we need If These Walls Could Talk too. Oh, okay. Let's look for If These Walls Could Talk too. Yeah. Let's look at that one. I'm grabbing If it. These Walls, are you doing it? Okay. Yeah. Talk. Let's look at that one. Uh, I know Cher directed one of those. Um, anyway, okay. 1961. Oh yeah, Vanessa Redgrave. Vanessa. Okay, yeah. And elderly couple. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. then the next one is in the 70s, and it's like uh, college students. And Chloe Sevigny plays this mm -hmm. this uh, mechanic, whatever, and she's a young butch woman. Yeah. Yeah, madly mm -hmm. in love with Michelle Williams, who's you know this this uh, college yeah. student. And then the last one was about a married couple who want to have kids. And by married, at that point, le marriage wasn't legal, but they were as married as you could get in whatever. And it was uh, Sharon, right. Sharon Stone and Ellen DeGeneres, and they were going through the whole... A couple. Yeah. yeah I mean, how about that for a couple, y'all? Yeah. That was, a, that was the 2000 segment. Yeah. And Oh my god. It huh. was it was a really cool thing because at the time, you know, those those were some really recognized as very talented actors and you know, it was just it was really empowering. I remember watching that and just thinking, mm -hmm. Wow. It was a big deal for me. It was a big deal. That was I remember watching that and just being like, Holy shit, I can't believe this is on TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, and it was, it aired in 2000. Yeah. You know, and that was like almost fucking 20 years ago. Jesus, mm -hmm. fuck, how old are we? Um, really old. And it was just real. yeah, thanks. And it was so cool that the three separate storylines were all lesbian oriented. Yeah. Which yep. was like, what? You know, your brain, your wig flies off. Well, so. And the cool part is, it wasn't just that, that it was all three were, were lesbian, but it went from this very very oppressive you know finding love in a place where you really are not allowed to love one another and and the consequences mm -hmm. of that as you grow old to mm -hmm. fighting for social justice to this couple who are hanging out and you know together and and, uh, and other people walk by and say oh you guys are such a beautiful couple right so it it's this really cool evolution of of society mm -hmm. and their whatever it, yeah. i i liked it a yeah. lot did I mention yeah. that I liked it a lot? Because I liked it a lot. Yeah, it was nominated for a bunch of Emmys. Vanessa Redgrave won one for it. It was HBO, I think, was doing that. HBO has been doing some cool shit. But um, yeah, so if these walls could talk, that is kind of the same, a similar premise. Like you've got a, a static setting, and then you know the lives that kind of go through that setting over the years. Yeah. 
I love cool. that. I love that as a model for theater and movies. It just it's such a great premise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, cool. Karen Callmaker has a book that follows that same. Oh, which one? Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to look it up. You keep talking. I'll okay. look it up. Okay. So the, we're now moving on friends to June 18th. Ash Bartlett joined us and Ash always brings the, y'all need to think about this shit blogs. And one of these is unstudying misogyny. And that's what, what we, what Ash wanted to write about this week. So she starts, I'm going to read this first paragraph to you because this is really interesting. The first week, there were three dudes in our women's studies class. The second week, there was one. By the third, none. Visible dudes, that is. I'm sure any invisible trans guys wouldn't have said anything because it was that kind of women's studies class. You know the type, the sort of class, men's rights activists, in quotes, fear. It was all empowering women and misandry, which are like two of my favorite pastimes. But also, masculinity in women is a tool of the patriarchy. And why shaving body hair is a tool of the patriarchy. And real women fight the patriarchy in this very specific way. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I were given a pass on a lot because we're lesbians, and so was the professor. I imagine we'd have been eaten alive if she had been straight. We were not good feminists. My girlfriend had the nerve to say out loud that she liked shaving her legs. Worse, she was able to explain her position well. We had the audacity to do that a lot. It was almost as if we had our own thoughts and feelings outside of the collective opinion of our professor and class. So I have... I remember those classes. <laughs> yeah, I remember those classes very well. Um, I never felt like I fit. And Ash and I have had these discussions quite a bit because we both present a little more masculine than, you know, what is considered, quote, unquote, traditional or whatever the fuck. Um, so I've never really felt comfortable in spaces that are constantly wanting to, you know, tear down the patriarchy and stop emulating masculinity or whatever the fuck like like who the fuck even knows what masculinity even is like there's toxic masculinity and obviously you don't want to want to emulate that but there's also toxic femininity okay so how about you just emulate yourself and you know do what do you you know and tear down the patriarchy in whatever way you feel comfortable so this took me back, Ash, man. I'm sitting, I'm sitting in my college classroom again, and I'm just, like, shaking my head going, God, I remember that class, and I hated it. Um, <laughs> there were some good things that came out of that class, but then there were some weird things that came out of that class, and I was just like, I don't really understand why shaving my legs is a bad thing. So, hmm. Anyway, Ashley points out, my own misogyny was fully established by the time I was in that women's studies class. I was raised in America during the tail end of the 20th century. So, obviously, our misogyny is ingrained. It's like racism. It's ingrained. We're swimming in it all day, every day. But I also like that Ashley brings up, you know, switching to taking us to, like, looking at Gen Z and how Gen Z is just, like, people in possession of uteri tend to bleed once a month. So, she shifts us to talking about, you know, something that is perfectly normal and natural. She says, we need to just destigmatize the fuck out of periods. 
but we really only applies to people over the age of 25. Gen Z does not give the remotest of fucks about our generational shame around periods. Gen Z has no problem coming up to me during queer prom and announcing, Ashley, I started my period. I need a tampon. There aren't any in the bathroom. Knowing full well, I'm going to find them a tampon in under two minutes. Gen Z has no problem coming into my office and shouting, does anyone have fucking Midol? My uterus is trying to fucking kill me. Gen Z has no problem comparing period tracker apps while sitting in class next to a group of cis boys. Gen Z is a trans boy sitting in my office saying, my body reminded me it was International Women's Day today. After we all laugh, I say, I thought T was supposed to stop menstruation, but he is Gen Z, so he has no issue explaining to his advisor and a handful of peers the amount of time it takes the average teenage trans boy to stop menstruation. Misogyny gives us strange hang-ups. And Jove, since you are going through... Um, yeah, I mean, you were raising Gen Z kids right now. Uh, I am, and I think I, I, I was listening with great interest. Um, that that actually is has not been my experience, and I'm I'm mm. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it though, because Ashley works with kids that are, um, you know, a, a good four or five years older than than mine. So you know, there's a, yeah, there's okay. a little bit of a you know a maturity that could take there's place. A lag there. there, yeah. Okay, but um, no, my kids are very. Um, when Noah started having uh, his period, it was devastating, and it was one of the reasons we yeah. were willing to start the hormone blockers with him as young as we did. Mm -hmm. um, and then with Michael, you know, the kid is twelve and having it, and he has horrible cramps. When you know, it's just it's really it's really rough. Yeah, yeah. It's really really hard for him and um, that's I'm really excited that that we're getting the the um, hormone blockers but I, I definitely see that you know their expressions of gender are not even close to what uh, I would have considered traditional or that I do consider traditional mm -hmm. I mean last night I was taking Noah to spend the night at a friend's house and his face was covered in glitter even though he had already tried to clean all the makeup off and he had you know how it looks like last night's makeup that's what he had yeah. on right like and he's just oh my god looking and I'm like are you sure you're not a girl and I wasn't like trying to change his gender I was just giving him a hard time and he's progressed to the point where that was totally fine like I could say that and he could just laugh and you know think you know what I mean like so mm -hmm. Uh, he's totally comfortable with the fact that he's going to wear makeup because he wants to and you know fuck anybody who thinks that means anything so mm -hmm. and it's cool it's fun it's fun to be able to tease him about it and you know Michael um, sometimes he wears makeup sometimes mm -hmm. he always the clothes he chooses to wear are always just a little bit feminine mm -hmm. not not overtly but a little bit and that's the way he likes it he wants you know like his clothing has he likes floral prints mm -hmm. you know he likes he likes to have just a little pop of pink somewhere right and you know, just <laughs> and that's whatever it's it's cool it's cool to watch them and how they you know they define themselves the way they define themselves and it's just so fucking cool so it's I'm, it's really interesting yeah to watch to have conversations with young people who are in that generation and and how it's just part of their their daily view yeah you know, this i'm this is how they live i'm looking forward to the period thing not being an issue mm. noah doesn't have one anymore because that's what the puberty blockers stop it but um yeah mm -hmm. 
And that, that must be really devastating for someone who is, who is transitioning to male and trying to come to terms with, with their body. And that happens. I, I can't imagine how devastating that would be. Yeah. It would be, especially when, you're, have- when you're that young. And, you know, like Michael's, Michael's family told him very, very, very emphatically that it didn't matter what he was feeling. He was a, he was a girl. And, you know, so when you're dealing with that kind of, of, of baggage. Yeah, yeah. You know, somebody telling you that you're absolutely not what you say you are, and then to have oh, your body horrible. betray you like that, nah, right. that's rough. It's, but That is like the worst thing you could do to somebody is say, no, you don't know who you are. I know who you are, and this is who you are. Yeah. and That is like so arrogant. Oh and I can't, I can't agree with what you're saying because it's a betrayal to my God. <laughs> Yay for you and your God. Now, fuck off. <laughs> exactly and that's usually the reason i yeah. mean it's usually some kind of weird religious thing coming up but i mean it, i remember just people used to i mean kids are cruel mm-hmm. you know let's just put it out there i have always identified as female as cisgender i have not had you know i didn't like having a period yuck i mean what the fuck with this period shit but anyway but i did not ever identify as male you know mm-hmm. i think you know, if I had been Gen Z, I might have been gender queer. I might have been they there. But I was comfortable, she, her. And it really, really, people would, like, mock me and use male pronouns, you know, in school to, like, mock me and call me boy and stuff. And that just really stung. That was one of the things that stung the worst because I knew that's not who I was. And so when you tell somebody, well, you know, you're, you're a girl and inside you just feel you are not. Mm-hmm. That is really, really painful and is really hurtful. So it is not that hard to use someone's preferred pronouns. And it is not that hard to respect somebody's identity. It really isn't. It's none of your goddamn business anyway. So, you know, come on, people. Yeah, don't don't be a douche. Don't be a douche. And it, it really, I get like angst when I think about these kids in in households that are not supportive and how these kids are given no agency to experience who they are and to express who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, with this whole stupid bullshit about, oh, parental rights, yada, yada. I'm like, fuck you. Kids have agency too. Mm-hmm. They are beings as well. So, no, you do not get to dictate to your child who and what they are. You can guide them, offer support, but they are going to determine for themselves who and what they are. Yeah. And how they want to identify. And that's part of misogyny, I think, is like this strict binary system in which we relegate people to certain things. Oh, yeah, definitely. The homophobic, misogynistic society in which we live. And we all have this internalized, y'all. It's all part of us. and, And we have to work really hard. It's also left over from, you know, a very uh, stringent caste system, you know. Which we still have. I mean, yeah, come on. It, not as not as rigorous, but yeah, and that's and that's where those those lines mm-hmm. come from. It's fucking bullshit. And yes. Ashley even says, you know, internalized misogyny comes into play when I let assumptions stand, when I lean into them, when I forget how to cry and end up cracked in the brittle places, it doesn't do much good to uphold the patriarchy and benefit from it while simultaneously railing against it. 
but it does even less good to tell someone else they are doing it wrong. Let's all just destroy the patriarchy together, friends. Mm-hmm. Damn straight. Yes. And crooked. Just, yeah, all of that in a ball of wax, man. I mean, fuck yeah. Actually, this week, also, I agree with you 132%. You're strange, so, Andy. Just saying. So, and I also wanted to give a shout out to an organization that some of you may not know about because Ashley brought this up about discussing menstruation. And that's something we need to discuss. I mean, there's a lot of period shame in generations, older generations. There's an organization called Period Equity, and that's one word, periodequity.org. And it's the nation's first law and policy organization that fights for menstrual equity committed to ensuring that menstrual products are affordable, safe, and available to those in need. And there are a lot of these kinds of organizations that are doing a lot of work in what's called the global South, i.e. Africa and Latin America, because not being able to um, have access to products like these literally can affect a girl's schooling, a young woman's schooling, because there are so many societal taboos on going to school on your period, not having the equipment to do it. So you don't want to go and bleed down your legs while you're in school. It's just a real barrier. It's a real thing. So organizations like period equity try to help with that. And there are other organizations and you can Google that do that work in the global South and try to ensure that girls can stay in school and have access to, to products for their periods. So just my two cents. So there Boom. Ugh, anyway. Oh, thanks, Ash. June 19th, Cliffy. Joe Cliffy. I love Cliffy. I love her. Cliffy. Stop by Clifford May Henderson. And she did something so awesome. She posted an entire short story on her blog. Wow. I like that. It's, it's called Aunties. And it deals with, you know, a couple of lesbian aunties and their... Well, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but one of the aunties has a nephew and they're like, you know, they're pretty sure the nephew is gay, but the nephew, well, I'm just going to let you read it. And it's just, it's kind of fun because it riffs off Ashley's discussion about younger generations being so open and willing to talk about things like sexual identity and gender identity. And these two aunties who are an older generation and are, are struggling, they're trying to like figure out like what certain terms mean and they're trying not to sound like dicks when they, you know, ask for explanations and stuff. And it's set within this kind of dysfunctional family. So the aunties are trying to, to like be the support system for the nephew that maybe the nephew's not getting at home. So read it. It's posted on the blog. It's called aunties. And also Cliffy gave us a huge shout out, Joe. Uh, big did. round of applause for Andy and Joe. So much of a writer's success hinges on reaching out to readers. And in creating this awesome website, Andy and Joe have made it that much easier for me to reach out to the likes of you. So Yay. thanks. Yay. Woo. Yeah. Uh, we don't do anything. We just show up occasionally and talk about it. It's all good. You guys do the work. Y- y'all do the heavy lifting. But yeah. this is a great story. Have a look. Um you know, it's just a fun read. It'll take you about 10, 15 minutes. It's just really great. Yeah. Thanks, Cliffy. That was such a great, and it transitioned. It's a great segue from Ashley's blog. Yep. You know, discussing the generational differences. Um, on a sad note, June 20th, 2019. Yeah. There's a backstory here, friends. On the 19th, Salem West of Bywater Books 
emailed me and Jove to inform us of the death of an award-winning writer who was part of the Bywater family. That that was Hilary Sloyne. She was the winner of the Bywater Prize for Fiction, but she had some. She was just a really talented playwright, author, short story poet. I mean, she was like a Jill of all trades in writing, and um, she died last week. Um, and what I really appreciate about what Salem said and what the obituary she requested that we post was that the cause of death is noted. The cause of death was suicide following a lifelong struggle with mental illness. Hillary was 55 years old. And if you can think about all the years that she struggled with mental illness, but she also was an advocate for people going through similar struggles. And she requested as part of her last wishes, for her last request, was to please make donations to the Western Mass Recovery Learning Community Greenfield Center in Greenfield, Massachusetts, which helps with these issues. So I think too often people, you know, speaking of stigmas, that things that people don't talk about, suicide is a stigma that people don't talk about. Oh, heck yeah. And I think that being open about it and talking about it, I think, can help destigmatize it and also help people who are struggling with whatever mental illness or problem. And I really think that I just really appreciated that that was noted in this blog, that it noted her accomplishments, but also her struggles. And I just really appreciated that and condolences to all of Hillary's friends and family and to the Bywater family. You know, I think what makes what makes um, mental, you know, depression and and suicide and all of those things so hard to discuss and 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 to really wrap our our heads around as as a society is you know with a physical uh, ailment there's there's a symptom that you can point to. I broke my mm -hmm. leg. You can point to the leg that is broken and now in a, ca a cast. But if mm -hmm. you say I broke my heart, there's nothing to point to. If you know and and if you have never felt. Um, so overwhelmed with with sadness and depression and that 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 senselessness that you have felt suicidal. How do you relate to that in somebody else? I've never felt like that. No matter how depressed I get, I've never once thought that was a suitable option. Like I, it's not something that I. It, has ever entered my mind so I have a hard time relating to it right and mm -hmm. how do you how do you convey that to somebody else so yes you're right we need to we need to talk about it so that we can understand it because it's if you haven't been there how do you know mm -hmm. how, do how do you know how do you know how do you relate so yeah this is and it's something that I mean some people just will always struggle with and that to me is really sad and one of the things that I've learned through my life is, and I've known a few people who have, who have committed suicide, there's this reaction often among people, they get really angry. You know, they get very angry or, you know, why did you do this to me, blah, blah, blah. And I have learned that the person who was struggling, they, they were in such pain that this, this was the only thing that they thought would help. I mean, you have, I can't even imagine that kind of pain, you know? And I, I don't think that it's really fair to judge people who decide that 
that this is what they're going to do. And it, I mean, it's devastating and it's sad and you wish that you could help and you, you want to be there for them. But sometimes, sometimes people just, they're done and they just can't, they just cannot. And uh, a friend of mine um, lost uh, her, one of her sons to suicide, um, like six years ago. He was 24, I believe. And that was really, really horrible. But he had struggled so long with chronic depression and and whatever else was going on with him that he just he just couldn't. And at at some point along the way in my life, I stopped being judgmental about it and instead tried to be more open and empathetic to someone who who decides that's that's what they're going to do. Now. I'm not saying that as the ones the le- ones who are left behind, you know, I understand anger is a very real emotion and I get it, you know, because I was angry. I was angry at my friend's son for doing that because it put her in such a horrific amount of pain too. But I've had long conversations with her and she's hashed it out with me and and she was telling me that, you know, this that this was his agency. This was what he... He did, and he was not lashing out at people that he was so in pain internally that this was the one thing that he could do that would bring him peace. And she said, I got to a point where I miss him, but I would wa- I want him to have peace. I want him to have peace. And unfortunately, this is how he got it. And she's come to a place, too, where she's, like, less, I think, less angry, but it, she's still, you know, that's something you never get over as the death of a loved one like that. But, um, and a lot of people know people who, who commit suicide, who maybe you're surprised, but not necessarily shocked, right? Because you've been struggling for so long. And I've known people like that. I lost a, a colleague a few years back to suicide and she had struggled for a very long time. So I was not surprised. I was shocked, but I was not surprised. You know, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Totally. So I appreciate that this was in, you know, that she was open about about this. And I really hope that if you are struggling, that you are able to get help. Reach out to your friends and family. I know it's hard. Um, but, you know, you don't have to struggle alone. And if it, if it helps keep you around, I'm all for it. Yep. I don't know. Yeah. I don't have anything else to say. It's tragic. It's sad. I don't know how to make it otherwise. So we had a, one of our readers stop by, Laura Yaros, who said that she had interviewed Hillary years ago for her radio show about the book Art on Fire. That, that was uh, Hillary's book. And she says, I think I still have that interview as an MP3 file. I knew she was chronically depressed. I know she was Jewish. I think I will dedicate the portion of the service I am chanting in synagogue on Saturday to her. That's so nice. That is very nice. Thanks, Laura. Thank you for doing that. I'm I'm sure that I'm sure everyone will appreciate it. And who knows? Maybe Hillary is appreciating it somewhere. So uh, anyway, so thanks Salem for letting us know. And she wanted us to let all y'all know. Because apparently we're sort of a news conduit. <laughs> Even bad news. Ah, all right. 
that June 20 that was yeah that's heavy it's uh, yeah I just my condolences to her, her loved ones mm -hmm. and I there's yeah. really nothing to say it's just it's, like it's heartbreaking absolutely heartbreaking it's heartbreaking for her all those who you know are left behind but also my heart breaks for her that she yeah, oh, absolutely. was in that pain. Like, oh, man. So, yeah, I like, like you and I both know, we've both been in super dark places. Mm -hmm. But I've and, never, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, June 21st. Oh, my God. I did a thing, y'all. The book lists. Hey. Woo! So they're up, friends. Go have a look. And remember, if you you know of a book, you have a book, you you just like want to let us know about a book that's coming out, drop us a line at the contact page. Put in the subject line, book for book lists, because Joe and I are, you know, we're problem children. We don't, you know, we're confused. We're easily confused. Let us know what you need, and we will take care of that, because I add to the list all month, all through the month. So... Yay, go forth and read. There's a lot of good stuff. Woo, I found a lot of cool shit. Yeah. Isn't it interesting, like, the list that you have, like, for one month is longer than the list for an entire year, not that long ago? I was thinking that, yes, when I was putting the list together. And I was like, damn, do you remember back in the day when this list would have been, like, ten books, maybe, on a good day? Mm-hmm. And now it's, like, dozens. Mm -hmm. That just in the last ten years, I've been watching this this grow. It's really fascinating. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, there's so much material. Oh my god. Um, also on June 21st, Archie Emanuel came by. Archie's having a struggle with writer's block, y'all. Jove, you want to talk a little bit about that? No, I don't because I don't want to think about it, and you can't make me. Okay, never mind. So, <laughs> our, Archie's point is. Months. She's had this, this problem for months. Zero productivity. Projects underway. They've just been sitting there. She wants to get over the block so she can finish those projects, even if she doesn't ever start anything new again. How? How do you do this? How do you get over writer's block? So she has no idea. And, you know, if you have ideas or if you're going through the same thing, she has some resources here. I tend to not call... When I'm not writing writer's book, I call it burnout because, I don't know, it makes me just feel better about it for some reason. Um, I, we all know, you know, when you're going through difficult things in your life or whatever, that, that puts a damper on creative outlet, on creative output. So, Joe, if you've had a shit ton going on in your life. Are you trying to make me think about this again? Because really. No, I'm just saying that. And I know Archie's been having a lot of crap going on. I've been having a lot of crap going on. Um, Jill's been having a... I mean, there's a bunch of us who have been having a lot of crap going on. Yeah, you know, RJ and I discussed this the other day about uh, how different people deal with their... with the, the trials in their lives and how it affects their creativity. Whereas, you know, someone like me, when I'm having a struggle in my life, trying to do something creative like writing is virtually impossible like it doesn't translate in my brain um, mm -hmm. but for someone like you when you're having a difficult time that's when you're more prolific you're more likely to write if you're if you're struggling with something because that's part of your your self-guided therapy and uh yeah not always not always like when i was going through the cancer shit 
It took me a minute. I didn't write for a while until after the surgery. Okay. So, and I, there's been stretches of like six months or more where I just, I just couldn't because I just, I had to deal with other things. And, but I do find that um, it writing does provide a little bit of a respite for me, and it does bring me some peace. It helps, but. Um, yeah, this last shit, all this other shit that's been piling up, I haven't been able to write as much. And, and I feel it. Do you ever get that where you feel like? Oh, yeah. It's when you I, don't do a workout and you're just like, God, I feel gross. I haven't been writing as much and I feel it. Yeah, no, I feel mentally congested. Yeah, oh my God, that's such a good image. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but... Um, one oh, Archie even had that. We need writing decongestant, Joe. Yes, we do. We do, we do, we do. One of the things I do though is is when I when my writing is being very difficult, I try and find some other creative outlet, whatever that may be. Like you know, that's why I've been spending so much time in my uh, wood shop because Good idea. it's it's creating things. Something you know, um, I used to before uh, my friend Jeanette died. I used to go for a lot of bike rides, and that you know fed that creative part of my mm-hmm. of my soul and. Um, you know, so just find the thing that, that will feed that energy and, and run with it because there's something. You just need to. I think people give themselves too hard a time if they're going through a block. Mm-hmm. You know, they get all stressed out like, oh, I have to produce. And it's like, no, just don't. Don't even worry about it. Focus on other things and just let whatever's going on work itself through. Because if you start blaming yourself for it, that just makes it worse. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. That's that's how I deal with it. I'm like, clearly, I don't want to write right now, so I'm not going to. Instead, I will watch all kinds of cool things on TV, go to the movies, go outside. I'll do other things. I feed my creativity that way. So there. So there, and any boo boo. And guess what, Joe? That's it. What? We're done. Yay. Yeah. Okay. I I like it when we're done. (laughs) Um. Dear listener, please uh, think good thoughts about me for the next week because I'm going to be hidden <laughs> away in the middle of nowhere with children who, you know, drive me to the brink of homicide. Um, and give a give a warm thought for the the person in your life, and you, we all have one who needs just a little extra care because that yeah. could make all the difference. Uh, anyway, this has been the week in review for Women in Words. I am Joe Bell. Here today with Andy Marquette. You can find us online at womenwords.org. Please like, subscribe, leave a comment, leave a review, leave do things. Push buttons <laughs> and do things because that would be good. And um, yeah, until next week, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye.